guys. Pastor David here. Uh, welcome to Victory Church. We're excited that you have uh, found us, that you're joining us today. We're a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. That is our vision here at Victory Church, and that is what we're praying will become a reality for us as a church here at Victory. So I'm glad that you guys found us. I'm glad that you're joining us today, and we're excited about kicking off this sermon here in just a moment. All right, so if you guys are joining us for the first time this Sunday, or if you've maybe missed one or two Sundays, we have been in the Gospel series for the past uh, couple of weeks. We, we've been diving into the Old Testament, the New Testament, different books, different themes throughout the Bible, throughout the whole Bible, to see what this overarching theme is, this gospel message of hope, freedom, and redemption. And so far, we've hit on, in the last couple of sermons, first of all, the, the fact that we were created for relationship. We were created for perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other. But something happened. It doesn't take a rock and scientist to look around and see something happened that affected, that broke these perfect relationships that we had, both with God and with each other. That's something that's called sin. Sin entered the world. We invited sin into our lives, into the world around us, and into our relationships, and it broke these perfect relationships that we have. But then in the end, or, or rather in Genesis chapter 3, at the end of the first sermon, we, we hit on the first gospel message, the first good news that's seen in the Bible, where God promised to send this offspring that would one day come and defeat Satan and overcome sin all together. And then last sermon, we, we hit on how God continued providing for that offspring, that promise of an offspring to become a reality one day. He could just continued providing for a way for that to happen. And then in the last sermon, we ended with something called the blood covenant, the blood covenant. And this was a, a covenant that God made with Abraham and that God made with Abraham's descendants. And he promised Abraham all these different things. For one, that promise of an offspring that would one day come defeat Satan, overcome sin. But then also to prom he promised to make uh, Abraham a, a, big, a great nation. And he also promised to bless Abraham, bless his descendants for generations to come. And in this blood covenant, what God promised Abraham is no matter what, not you, not your descendants, nothing can stop my promises from becoming a reality. That's where we ended last week. That's where we're at in this series so far to kind of catch you up a little bit. And this week, we're going to be continuing on with that promise, continuing on to see how God kept on providing a way for that promise to one day become a reality. And we're going to see today that he does this in supernatural ways. He does this in supernatural, logic-defined ways. The big idea today is the gospel is about supernatural provision. The gospel is about supernatural provision. Let's pray. Father, I just pray, first and foremost, that you help us to understand what your gospel message is all about. I pray that it becomes more than just words that we hear about, words that we read about. I pray that it's something that impacts our life, that we live it out as a love language to you because we're so impacted by what we're doing. I pray that you, you work through our lives, even through our imperfections, God, and our flaws and our struggles, Father. Remind us, remind other people around us of your good news, how good you are, and of your good news, of your gospel message. I pray that your gospel message shines through, even in our brokenness and our flaws. God, I pray that if there's anybody here today that has never been impacted, their eyes, their heart has never been open to what you have done, your gospel message, how much you love them. I pray that their eyes are open today. Open hearts, open minds. Even those, uh, those of us that know you already, I pray that you still, you'd break those areas in our life that are holding us back from you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you flood this environment, flood me, take over right now, take over this broken vessel, speak through me, God, speak through your sermon. This is all about you and what you have done. We praise you and we thank you. In your incredible name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So we're going to dive right in today. We've got a little bit of ground to cover. So we're going to dive right in with Genesis chapter 17, verses 15 through 17. It says, God said to Abraham, as for your wife, Sarah, do not call her Sarah, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her indeed. I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. Then he laughed and said to himself, can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So, so something I want you to see is in this text, we're going to stop right there. In this text where it says that Abraham laughed, what we have to understand is Abraham isn't laughing because he doesn't trust God. He's not laughing at God. Here, okay, he's laughing because he's filled with joy and his mind is blown in this moment. He's like, What are you kidding? I mean, like, they're gonna be a hundred, he's gonna be a hundred years old, Sarah's gonna be 90 years old. It's not that they haven't been trying to have a kid, they've been trying, but Sarah hasn't been able to. So now, with this news, he is like overcome with joy, he is excited to the point where he can't help but just to laugh. You ever have one of those moments where you get excited about something? You, you kind of you hear something, you, you see something that happens, and you're like, Wow. That is awesome. You can't help but just kind of laugh about it. That's what's going on here. Abraham trusts what God is doing, trusts what God is saying, and he is overcome with joy, so much so that he laughs. But Abraham isn't the only one that laughs at this news. And we're going to read on. We're going to find out how Sarah reacted to this. Because Sarah laughs too, but it kind of takes on a little bit of a different tone. There's a different heart to this. So we're going to keep on going. Genesis chapter 18, verses 9 through 15. A little backstory before we get to this point, though. What's happened is after this, after this news, Abraham is excited. He laughs. Then what happens is God actually comes down later on, literally comes down to earth and just starts hanging out with Abraham. Like that would be awesome, right? God comes down, starts hanging out with you. And these two angels come with him. It's the Lord and two angels. And they were called the three visitors. So that's what's happening. That's the scene here, let's dive into this and check this out. Genesis chapter 18, verses 9 through 15. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, Lord here reference to Abraham, Abraham is old, I will, have the, I will, ha- will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, did Sarah laugh, saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it, I did not laugh, she said. Because she was afraid, but he replied, No, you did laugh. No, you did laugh. See, Abraham's laughter again, it was born out of joy. He was excited. He trusts God. He trusts what God is saying. He's excited, overjoyed. Like, are you kidding me? This is awesome. He's excited about it. But Sarah is laughing here because she doesn't. She's like, Are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. After all these years, we've tried to have a baby. And now I'm going to have a baby. I've been barren all of this time. I'm going to be 90. That doesn't happen. You know, Abraham's going to be 100. That doesn't happen, and that's where this laughter is being born out of. It's being born out of disbelief, unbelief. There's no way that this is going to happen. It's essentially what's going on in Sarah's mind. And then on top of that, she has the audacity to deny it. She has the audacity to, to, to I mean, just say, no, I didn't do it, right to the Lord's face. And I love his response. I love his response here. He says, no, 
you did laugh. I mean, he's like, he's not holding back. He's not trying to sugarcoat it. He's like, no, you did laugh. You did laugh. Because here's the thing, guys. He's essentially telling Sarah in this moment, look, Sarah, I see right through your lies. Okay, I see right through it, right to your heart. I know what you did. I know why you did it. I know why you did it. You're not trying, I mean, you're not hiding anything from me. And that's why, guys, I mean, it, it's so important when we're going through life, it's, we can't hide things from God. We can't keep lies from God. God sees right through the lies. He sees to the heart. And if we try to lie to him, try to keep things from him, we're going to fail miserably, just like Sarah does in this instance. And what we have to understand is Sarah's lie here. She doesn't understand the extent to which, well, what she's done as she's lied to God and also as she's denied God and she's, she doesn't really trust him in this moment. What she's essentially saying to God in this moment is, your grace is not good enough. Your love is not good enough. You are not powerful enough. You do not have the authority to make this happen. She does not trust God. She does not trust his promise in this moment. That is what she is saying to God in this moment. Regardless of what she thinks in her mind, that is what sin says to God. That's why our sin, it's such a big deal. It's such a big deal because that is what is being said to God, and that's why he takes it seriously, and he lovingly corrects her in this moment. Lovingly corrects her. Now, this account between Sarah and God, when, when she's laughing, she doesn't believe, she doesn't trust in this moment, and, and then she denies it, and then God calls her out on it. This kind of shows us a couple of things. It shows us a couple of things. For one, it shows us that when we take these things in our life, these struggles, these pains, these heartache, the past, the sins in our life, when we take them to God and we say, God, here it is. Here's everything that I have, but we know that there's stuff back here. We know that there's stuff back here that we're holding on to, those little secret sins. Guys, God knows those things. You're not hiding them from him. You're not hiding them from him. He knows those things, those secret sins that you think nobody else knows about, the things that you did over here in the past that you think nobody knows about. You just kind of swept them under the rug. He knows about those things. He sees through the lies. He sees through the deception, and he looks at the heart. He knows exactly what's going on. You are not fooling him. You're not fooling him. The other thing that it shows us is that when God makes a promise, when God makes a promise, his promise will come into fruition. It will happen. It will become a reality. Absolutely nothing can stop God's promises from becoming a reality. See, Sarah's view of God in this moment with this promise, it's just, it's just small. It's tiny. She's essentially put God into her own little makeshift box, and he's only able to accomplish what's possible within this little box that she's kind of fashioned, her idea of what he can do. But what's about to happen is God is about to blow the lid off of this little box that Sarah has tried to put him in. And he's about to accomplish what he, only he can do. What only he can do. Guys, God is not dependent on anyone or anything. The entire universe is dependent on God. He will make his promises become a reality. And he will move in logic-defined, radical, supernatural ways that, and he does this so that we know at the end of the day, we know that we know that we know who exactly provided. It wasn't some man. It wasn't a group of people. It was God. He moves in ways when we, we leap out in faith in his direction to where there is no doubt who it was. It was God. And we know it without a doubt. And he does this on purpose. He does this on purpose. As we can bring 
our gifts, our talents, the things. We can bring the best of what we have to the table. The best of what we have. But here's the thing. God blows those things out of the water with his provision. With his provision. It's not about what we do. It's about what God does through us. He takes the inches that we give him, and he makes miles out of them. He makes miles out of them. We see that here in this story. Let's keep on going. Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed time, God had told him. Abraham named his son, who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now, now notice here in this text, when did it say that God provided? When did it say? At the appointed time. At the appointed time. This speaks to the fact that God not only makes a way for his promises to become a reality, but he is always right on time. He is always right on time. Because God doesn't just have a plan. He has a perfect plan. He doesn't have a schedule. He has a perfect schedule. And he doesn't just keep time. He is outside of time. Meaning God does not bend to the will of time. Time bends to the will of God. He does exactly what he says when he says it. Something else that bends to the will of God is human anatomy and physiology. And we see that in this story. The, the structure, the function of the body. I mean, think about this. Sarah is 90 years old. She's 90. And Abraham is 100. Are you kidding me? How is this possible? How? It's simple. It's not. But God doesn't work inside of what we perceive, what we, what we think is possible or impossible. God takes what we perceive to be impossible and he breaks through it like it's a door made of paper. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is outside of his control. No matter how big your situations, your circumstances, your struggles are in life, no matter what you are going through, it may seem like a giant to you, but to God, it's nothing more than a speck just waiting to be removed. Just waiting to be removed. He is just waiting for us to give those things over to him. And I'm going to tell you something. When God is in control of our life, breakthrough and transformation isn't just possible. When God is in control of our life, when we're giving these over to him, breakthrough and transformation is inevitable. It is inevitable. It is going to happen. It's going to happen. Let's keep going in this text. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 10. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two men walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father, and he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar at the top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. To slaughter his son. Here's the thing about this text, what God is asking Abraham to do in this moment. And it makes it very clear, but just to make sure here. When God is asking Abraham to take his son Isaac and to offer him, he is literally asking him to take his son Isaac to this place that he's told him about, to take him there to kill him and to sacrifice him. That is what God is asking Abraham to do in this moment. There's a few things we have to understand about this text as we're reading through this. For one, the reason that God is testing Abraham to this degree, to this magnitude, this is just so crazy. What is God doing here? The reason that he's doing this to this degree is to show the true character of Abraham's faith. To show the true character of Abraham's faith, both to Abraham and to everyone around him and for generations to come, including us as the readers. Abraham, at the end of the day, with nothing else, when you have no excuses, you have no explanations, when you are, you are, you are, you are facing this thing that seems just so incredible, this leap of faith that just... It's bigger than any other leap of faith you've ever experienced in your life. When you have nothing else but your faith, will you trust me? Do you trust in my promises and my provision even then, Abraham? It's essentially what God is asking Abraham in this moment. Something else that we see God asking, the reason that God is doing this, is back in that day and age, in Abraham's day and age, and also in the land that Abraham is living in, Child sacrifice was actually very common. See, that happened in that day and age. Abraham knew this. Abraham knew this. What these guys do, these pagans, these false religions, they would take their kids and they would literally sacrifice them. They would like throw them into fire. They would sacrifice them to their false gods, to their idols. Abraham knew this. This was common that day and age in the land that he lived in. Abraham knew this. So what God is essentially asking him is, Abraham, do you trust me as much as these pagans trust their false gods and their idols? Are you as committed to me as these pagans are to their false gods and to their idols? Abraham, how much do you trust me? How much do you trust me and how committed are you to me? That's something else that Abraham is asking him, or God is asking Abraham in this moment. Is as we go through this text, and we read through this, it's really easy to kind of get lost in the mechanics of what's going on. So we see God giving this command, telling Abraham to do something, and then as we read on down, we read what Abraham did. So it doesn't leave a whole lot of room for the, the human emotion that's going on here. But we can't read this text and just completely dismiss that as though it didn't happen. Like, oh yeah, this is what happened, bam, bam, bam. There's a human emotion side of this. This is a man and his son. A man and his son. And just imagine as he's walking along with his son, the word of the text tells us, his son that he loves. He's waited a hundred years to have this son. Can you imagine the weight, the burden that he's carrying? How he feels in this moment. The agony that he's feeling in this moment. Perhaps the best picture, the best example of the kind of agony that this man Abraham is feeling in this moment is seen 
a couple thousand years later in a garden with Jesus when he's crying out in agony. He knows what's about to happen. He knows what he's about to do. And he isn't just in gut-wrenching horror. He's in terror and horror. And he's in agony. So much so that the blood vessels in his face bust and blood pours out along his cheeks. That is perhaps the best picture of the kind of agony that this man felt. Do not take the human emotion out of this. This is his son, Isaac, that he loves. And he knows what's about to happen. He knows what's about to happen. Obviously, Isaac doesn't, but Abraham does. God is asking him to leap out in faith and hold absolutely nothing back. Hold nothing back. Not even his own. And to see just how extreme this man's faith really was. Let's check out verse 5, the text that we just read. Verse 5, one more time. It said, Then Abraham said to his young men, again, remember, there were a couple young men that went with Abraham and Isaac. Then when we get to the point, when Abraham gets to the point, this mountain that God wants him to go up to, he tells the two young men to stay back. That's these young men that he's talking to. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I, Isaac and I, will go over there to worship. And then, catch this, we'll come back to you. Did you catch that? We'll come back to you. Not I'll come back to you. We will come back to you. This is a statement of faith. We will come back to you. Abraham trusts God so much. He trusts in his promise and his provision so much so that even if Isaac were to die, he believes that God will resurrect him. In in other words, Abraham trusts God so much that if Isaac were to die, God would literally bring him back from the dead. That's the kind of faith that this man has in God. Radical, logic-defined, limitless faith in God. The kind of faith that doesn't just move mountains, that God doesn't just use to move mountains. The kind of faith that God uses to shake the entire world for generations to come. That's the kind of faith that this man had, Abraham, in God. The last thing I want to check out in this text right here that we just read, before we go on to the last in this text, we, we, we see something here, and I don't want us to miss this. Isaac, as he's going up the mountain, notice he's carrying the firewood. He's carrying the firewood. So what does that tell us about this guy? Is this like some 5, 10-year-old guy? This is a young man. He is strong. He's healthy. He's carrying this wood up this mountain to the sacrifice. He doesn't know what's about to happen. Abraham knows it, but he's carrying this wood up the mountain. He is a young man, not a little kid. Strong, healthy. Abraham was 100 years old. He was 100 years old when Isaac was born. So if this is a young man, Isaac now, Abraham is well past 100. Isaac is a strong, healthy young man. How in the world did Abraham bind up Isaac and put him on the altar? How does that happen? The only way for this to happen, most likely, was for Isaac to have allowed his father to bind him up and to put him on the altar. And this is a picture of what Jesus Christ would do a couple thousand years later. When Jesus would allow men to beat him, he would allow men to torture him, he would allow himself to be killed. He could have stopped it, but he did nothing. 
He did not stop it. Because Jesus knew that he had to die in order for us. He had to die in order for us to live. And that's exactly what he did. Let's keep on going to this last text today. Genesis chapter 22, verses 11 through 18. It says, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, this is Abraham, here I am. Then he said, and remember, we stopped in this last text. Abraham is about to kill his son Isaac. He's about to sacrifice him, doing what God is telling him. So God, God's calling out to him. Here I am, Abraham says. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and you have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you. And make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand and the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. In this text, we see God's provision and his promise just continuing. As God provides this ram, supernaturally, this ram just pops up at the perfect time. At the perfect time to be offered in place of Isaac. Guys, God never intended Isaac to actually be killed. He would not have let that happen. He was not going to let that happen. That was not the point of this. This was a test of faith. There was two things, a test of faith. Abraham, how much do you really trust me? How much do you really trust me? So that not only Abraham, but we as the readers for generations to come could know the kind of faith, the character of this man's faith. But this was also a picture. It was a picture of what was going to happen 2,000 years Later, when another father would offer his son at roughly the same location, this sacrifice wouldn't be made for God. This sacrifice would be made by God. Isaac never felt torture. He never tasted death. But Jesus Christ did. Isaac may have carried wood up to the altar, but Jesus Christ carried the sins of the world up to the altar. In Isaac's case, a substitute was given, but for Jesus Christ, there could be no other substitute. Jesus was the only one that could defeat Satan and overcome sin. He was the only one. Something else that we see in this text that we've read in chapter 22. When Isaac asks his father, Abraham, as they're going up the mountain together, Isaac and Abraham, they're going up to make this offering to God. And Isaac asks Abraham in this moment, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb at? I can just imagine Isaac asking his dad, like, dad, where is the lamb at? We've always got a lamb. Isaac knows what they're doing. They would do this. They'd be making sacrifices to God. Isaac knew this. Where is the lamb? And Abraham's response to Isaac was, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. In this instance, this is why this is so significant. God didn't provide a lamb. 
God didn't provide a lamb in this instance. What did he provide? He provided a ram. See, Abraham didn't know it at the time, but Abraham was prophesying what was to come. When the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world would be sent, would be beaten, would be tortured, would carry the weight of the, sin, of the world's sins on his shoulders, past, present, and future, and would die an hour. This was a picture of what was to come. Guys, the penalty of sin, it's, it's high treason against God. God is holy. He is just. He is perfect. He doesn't, he doesn't just, you know, cut corners. He doesn't just cut corners or anything. He's the ultimate judge. The penalty for our high treason is death. And he doesn't go against his perfect and just. He doesn't just ignore injustice and allow it to go unpunished. So in his incredible love for us, God not only provided a way for the punishment to be paid, God also provided a way for us to be saved. But this is only possible. This was only possible when God himself came down in the form of a man. He put man's kind punishment on his back. And he paid for the sins of the world in our place, all in the name of love and grace. All in the name of love and grace. Jesus Christ died so that we could live. Jesus Christ died so that we could live. And lastly in this text, we see God reiterating his promises that absolutely nothing will keep his promises from becoming a reality. Absolutely nothing in this world, not him, not anyone else, can keep God's promises from becoming a reality. And absolutely nothing can keep God's love, God's mercy, and God's grace from us. Absolutely nothing. God loves us so incredibly much. Worship team, if you guys could come on up. As just as faith defies logic, so does God's incredible love for us. It defies logic. There's no limit to God's love for us. There's no end to God's incredible love for us. We're not expected to try to understand it. Our job isn't to try to understand it. Our job is simply to embrace it, to fall into the the arms of love himself, and to surrender to his overwhelming grace. That is our job. And this is available to every single one of us. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what your past looks like, no matter what you struggle with, God meets us where we are at and he will save us where we are at when we call out to him. When we call out to him. If you're here today, you've never responded to the gospel message. Your eyes have never been opened to that. Then I want to encourage you please don't wait. Don't wait. I want to encourage you to get prayer today. I'd love to pray with you. Pray with someone else also on the worship team. Get some prayer. We'd love to counsel with you, pray for you. Don't wait. Don't wait. This is available to every single one of us. If you're already a Christian here, there's been some things that you've been holding on to. You've been holding back from God in certain areas of your life. You've been keeping these things from him. He knows about those things. He's not fooled by that. Don't wait to give him those things. Again, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. But as we worship today, I want to encourage you, don't wait to respond to him. Let's stand and worship together. Hey, guys. First off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. 
And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to to respond in some way today, because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we um, whatever it may may be, the point of that is um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, and you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me, what do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to him. And I want to encourage you to give that to him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.